Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Minority. And today we are joined in collaboration with Brother Maheen. Brother Maheen is the host of the Mad Mad Luke's and also the other podcast of his, which is Sultan and Sneakers. Um, this is an interesting collaboration, which we think you'll find highly beneficial. And uh, I know some people, some of my close friends are highly anticipating this podcast. So thank you for joining us, Maheen. Assalamu alaikum, Ahmed. It's a pleasure to be on. So for those who don't know Maheen, Maheen's been in the podcast game for a while, mashallah, um, significantly longer than I have. Um, and so, uh, and Maheen's, Maheen's an East Coast guy. So uh, we're more Midwest, Midwest, I would say. But for, okay. uh, for you West Coasters, like, I guess it feels like the East Coast, right? You know, they say everything happens in the West Coast much earlier than the East Coast. Right, and, right. uh but the podcast game started from the East and now we've adopted in the West. Actually, no, Imam Tahir Anwar, he says the West coast, the best coast, you know, uh, you know, but I, but actually not, not really in the, in the Islam, in the Muslim podcast sphere, the OG podcast is of course, you got to give a shout out to out of the Bay area, diffuse congruence. You know, I actually haven't, I've, I've been recommended to watch your stuff, but I haven't seen anything of theirs. Well, they're not on YouTube, really. It's an audio. They're very like classic in the sense that it's an audio-only podcast. You know, let me, let me show you something. So you want to talk about uh, the OG days. Look at what I have. I have Yusuf Islam, the glorious Quran, the liberator. Wow. And I have what is arguably the most influential uh, videotape series before. But this is Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's on Muslim, Islam and Muslims. These things by Sheikh Hamza, you know, it, that and Zaytuna Institute really, I think, shaped Islam in North America unlike any Muslim institution so far. Yeah, I remember. My old, my favorite classic tape, now that you mentioned it, is, do you, do you remember uh, Dr. Jeffrey Lang? Yeah. Yeah, he, you know, math professor. Islam, Islam on Demand, right? I'm on demand. Yeah. Um, he, you know, but he used to, he had the book struggling to surrender and even the angels ask. And I remember I was like, I first came across him in, um, I used to do this thing called students for dialogue before my MSA days. Students for dialogue was like an interfaith campus group on, on my campus at Ohio state where that's where I went. And, uh, the Ohio state, as we say, the university, <laughs> but, um, Dr. Jeffrey Lang, um, a lot of times we would bring, show his videos and it would be a discussion after. So I was like, this is white. And he's like one of those guys I think has an appeal. Uh, people talk today about like Paul Williams and blogging theology. But Dr. Jeffrey Legg is one of those guys that like I think had an appeal because if you saw him down the street, you wouldn't think he's a Muslim. He's just a random old white pr mathematics professor. So he converted? He converted, yeah. Oh, subhanAllah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he is He is a Muslim. He's been Muslim for many years. Um, I wonder what he's up to, to be honest. I might Google him and. That would be an amazing podcast guest at mm -hmm. some point. Maybe somebody can get him. You know, you know what's interesting? I was actually reflecting on this uh, during my drive today. Um, you know, we talk about how there's these there's these new mediums for which we can um, share Islam, whether it be YouTube, the podcasting game, all these different mediums. And there's always this talk of how Muslims need to be using these mediums. But, you know, I think Muslims have done a phenomenal job with these mediums and you know you know we talk about you know when we think of these you know we think of these uh these channels you know you think of things like muhammad hijab sheikh hamza yaqeen but like you know the ones that really shape people's islam 
are channels like the merciful servant, the daily reminder. And each of these videos have like millions of views and you'll find like Muslims in all demographics, including myself before I became more active. Almost every Muslim I would argue in the West has seen at least one video from, from some of these channels. Right. No, it, it, it's uh this idea of the, we used to call the Imaniyat talks, right? You know, and a lot of people are critical of these kind of talks because they're like, we already know this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you know, we say the benefit, the reminders benefit the believers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the interesting, uh, that's the angle that it plays on. I mean, it's easy to dismiss, but they, act, but it actually works. Like if you're having a bad day and you listen to one of those, watch one of those little clips, it'll do wonders for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's almost, you can think about any topic related to Islam Yep. And you can find a YouTube video on it. I mean, you can think about any talk. This is one of the miracles, I think, of Sheikh Hamza. Is you can, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf is you can search his name up and you can right. find any video. Like literally, you can search up any topic and his name and right. you'll find a video on it. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. I think that's, um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword though, right? Because we know now with the accessibility of media, of YouTube, and people say you can actually get, learn a lot about Islam formally. Through you through videos but the problem is is that with as and you may know this as well for your experience if you have teachers there's knowledge there's information and then there's knowledge or we call elm right and the former it might seem like the same thing but there's a the second one is this thing of the transmission from the heart to the heart that mm -hmm. like gives you that kind of um the tarbiya part of it as well that grows you as an individual because some people know a lot of stuff but they're real jerks Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it it doesn't manifest in their in their character what they've learned, right? So I think that's the there's a double edged sword there. So sometimes it, there's a lot of we have the resources at our hands, but sometimes people don't understand. They feel like they can just go on YouTube. And one of the, I think one of the detriments is like, um, I don't know how it is when you you're from British Columbia originally, right? Yeah, Vancouver. Vancouver. Um. Is Vancouver a city where a lot of uh, Islamic speakers would come through and speak, or is it kind of like out? I know it's a big, it's a major Canadian city. Unfortunately, you guys lost the Grizzlies. You know, uh, you know what we I mean. Still haven't recovered, bro. We still <laughs> you know haven't. I, mean? I, I was in San Francisco two weeks ago, and then they had a Vancouver Grizzlies hat. Yeah, and I was like, man, this is an artifact. <laughs> you, you, if anyone, the, I'm, I don't like. I used to be into jerseys a lot. I've never, you know, as far as appreciating jerseys. If I could get the uh, the Sharif Abdurrahim Grizzlies yeah. authentic from back in the day, that would be amazing. But uh, I think the uh, between that and losing the Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals, <laughs> riots, the riots. Yeah, you want to know there was riots. <laughs> they burnt the city down, and I knew it was a bad day because whenever, whenever, uh, uh, whenever, especially that year in the playoffs, because we knew we were so good. Yeah, you would just have to be. I would play basketball outside, and you'd hear honks every time we scored. Right. And when game seven happened, I was like, I was playing outside and I didn't hear a single honk. And I'm like, oh boy. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. But while I was going back, this was Vancouver. Did you, was it like a, did, did a lot of speakers come through Vancouver? Would you say? Uh, you want to talk about um, historically or like right now, post COVID, pre COVID? I mean, no, pre growing up as, 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 as in your formative years. Well, I wasn't too active. You know, I, I have a Madrasa background. So I spent. Okay. 12 years, maybe in a madrasa part-time, okay. um, one year full-time. So I was surrounded with those scholars, but like okay. the occasional lecture, you know, the speaker yeah. comes, Islamic relief brings in a speaker and so forth. That's all that's common everywhere. 
Okay. So I, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is that sometimes to me in Chicago's a hub, right? People come through Chicago a lot. It's it's basically it allows me to get a lot of great guests on my podcast under two podcasts. Uh-huh. Um because they just come they're literally coming through my city. Um but I find that like because YouTube the videos are so prevalent, Sheikh so and so could be 20 minutes away and you're like, "Eh, I'm just going to go on YouTube and watch it or I'll zoom it. it there's a live stream." And I'm like, there's a, I, I'm really about like just being present. Cause you know, if you're going to be on, um, so for example, at Daro Qasim, Sheikh Amin Kowadia has a Sunday morning tafsir. It's been going for decades, years. I don't know, decades, but maybe at least 10 years okay. or so, right? On Sunday morning, 11 a.m. He's a very, you know, he's one of the most reputable scholars in the country, right? Mm-hmm. You might get in person about 15 to 20 people there, right? People might go on on Zoom, but I'm like, I feel like the technology gives people a crutch in some ways, right? Unless you have a really valid excuse, I'm like, and you want to be a regular to class, it's better for you to just drive the 30, 40 minutes. And people complain about that sometimes, like 30, 40 minutes is a big deal. And it's really not, in my opinion, right? People like, we make these excuses because we've just become so lazy and we want instant gratification on things. So we're like, I'll just dial in on Zoom and then... Who knows? People are multitasking. They're not really dialed in on their phone. Because if you're in there in person, you better believe ain't nobody on their phone when Sheikh Amin is talking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they got their head. They have their their translation open. They're taking notes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, I I think it's a double edged sword, and it thinks. And I think in in our day and age, mo- it controls more people than it than it's it it's used by it's the social media or the YouTube or these videos. They use people more so than the people use them. If you know what I'm saying. Like it's a tool, yeah, but yeah. It, 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 people can't harness. It's a weapon that can't is not being harnessed well. Yeah, I understand your point of view, but you know yeah. my perspective on the matter with yeah most of the work that I do uh-huh. is how do I because you know I sit at a unique position um, where I I sit with the scholars, um, I read their books, I read their ideas, but also I'm with the average person, and so my question always is is how can I take this information from here and bring it down um, to the awam, as they right. say. And these mediums have become the best way um, uh, at spreading the information. And what's very interesting, and I mentioned this on, uh, on my previous podcast, which I would highly recommend everybody to see, which is on the science behind social engineering, um, is that you look at a case study of Miss Marvel. I don't know if you saw Miss Marvel. I have I, I I I haven't watched it because of um any like ideological reason. I just am not a fan of uh com- like Marvel in general. Okay, I I watched it because I knew everybody was gonna watch it, and so I okay. needed to see it. Plus, I'm Daisy as well. <laughs> okay. Um, but what's fascinating about that show is you can see how um they really placed um they presented a certain narrative around the partition okay. in Pakistan and India. Okay. And they, they, whatever historians they had on their team, their narrative was to uh, uh, demonize and put all blame on the British and claim that prior to the British invading, we were completely harmonious. Um, and the reason why we split with one another was because of the British, not because the Muslims decided we wanted a new country, even though there were some divisions between the ulama and stuff. Um, but no, it was simply the British's fault. And so when I speak to people about the show, when I speak to people, I was like, what do you think about the British Empire or that narrative? 
And people who are not historians, who haven't read any books on the matter, who haven't studied the subjects, will echo the exact same talking points that Miss Marvel has given them, which is everything was fine before the British Empire came. And so this is a classical uh, case study of how social engineering happens, whether it's for better or worse. Right. But this is how it happens is through TV shows, through media networks. All they want to do is they want to give you the talking points. And with that, you do whatever you want. So I think with us, if we can just get these talking points, for example, I'll give you an excellent example. Um, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf once did a podcast um, and he was talking about, um, it was a message to scholars, really. People, students of knowledge and scholars in which he was telling them, um, be careful of not falling into, into thinking that you are the elite and everybody else is like lower than you. And he used this saying from Imam al-Ghazali who said, Rahimahullah, who said that, he said that if you are not content when something goes your way, what you're basically saying is that you are angry because things went in accordance with God's plan and not your plan. I'll repeat that one more time. Okay. If you get angry because things didn't go your way, then what you're basically saying is you're angry that things went in according to God's plan and not your plan. Mm, and okay. the and and the reason I mentioned that is because that's an example of Sheikh Hamza reading all these books and knowing that thousands, tens of thousands of people who aren't students of knowledge, who don't know Arabic, are going to listen to it. And that's the one point they're going to take away from the podcast. And that's what he says. He said, if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, just take away this quote. So he's giving you this talking point. And now right. people go around and they'll get that quote and they'll share it everywhere. And that's how messages spread. It begins from the top and then it trickles down. This is what in philosophy they call the trickle down theory. So okay. this is what I'm really interested in is on these podcasts, getting somebody who's educated and just getting that short clip, that one saying of his. I'll give you another example. Sheikh Hamza was on the Jordan Peterson podcast. Right. And he said he mentioned the saying of uh, Ibn Atta'illah who went to his teacher um, and he was so burdened with himself. And his teacher said that, all of life is for conditions and each of those conditions have a response. And so the first condition is blessing and the response is gratitude. The second condition is tribulation and the response to that is patience. The third condition is uh, uh, sinfulness and the response is tawbah, repentance. And the fourth condition is something good happening to you and the response is being humble. And so I just posted that on my Instagram. And next thing I know, 50,000 people have seen it. That's the only thing they've seen from that podcast. And that's the only thing people remember now from the podcast. But that's how messages change. And that's why I think today, mm -hmm. one of the most important mediums for us to be using with podcasting, which I haven't done an excellent job at doing, is using Instagram shorts and YouTube shorts. Because... These are 30, because now people with TikTok, people's attention span can only last 30, 40 seconds. And so you right. post this short 30 second clip and all of them, all of them have at least 500,000 views, uh, 700,000 views, 1 million views. And this is why people don't know this, but this is one of the reasons why Andrew Tate, his message is so successful is because now he has his Hustlers University. He has all these students and he's telling them, upload short, short clips of, uh, of what I'm saying. And so every clip on Andrew Tate now has a million views and people are wondering why he's so well known. 
well, he's mastered the media game. Whether you like him or not, he's right. mastered how to deliver the message. You know, Gary, you're familiar with Gary V, Gary Vanderchuk. Yeah. Yeah, you know there was a couple years ago where he, you know, he, he I got his like ebook, um, the free one. There's a free one on social media, and he was talking about posting something like sixty four pieces of content a day. I mean, it was so. See where it's coming from, right? It just takes a lot of bandwidth to do it, as you alluded to, right? Because sometimes it's like when you when you make a podcast. I I, I agree with you, by the way. This is something that I myself am trying to work on, right? You know. I, I released uh, just uh, recently the podcast episode, um, which so far has been my most popular podcast, seems like. Dr. Yasser Qadi, Dr. Shadi Al-Masri, mm -hmm. and Hassan Shibli talking about political engagement. And, you know, leading up to it, I released a couple of clips. There was one Dr. Shadi talking about sympathy and how the sympathy can be a double-edged sword and it could be yeah. a tool of the devil, yeah. right? I don't know if you yeah, saw that, that one or not, yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, that that's those clips will get you attention. And sometimes you wonder... You could have amazing pod. You could have amazing interviews. Um, there, there's a there's an amazing there, one of the, my favorite channels right now is the Masjid Uthman channel. It's based out of Chicago, but the views are really low. And I think probably is the part of like you know these are two hour episodes and there's no clips. So sometimes when you get a clip, you bait somebody right, and then they'll be like, okay, maybe I'll go listen to watch. It's like a trailer mm -hmm. for a movie. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what you gotta try. So so I I fully agree with you in that sense. Is that and sometimes there is, like you said, benefit. You, the real powerful clip that I saw recently was the one with um, the actor who played Osman in Ertrul. Do you see that one? No. On Dean Inspiration. No. Okay, so this, this, I just it popped oh, up. Uh, this was yeah, yeah, and it was on. Um, what would you say to if you met the Prophet Osman? What right? question would you have yeah. for him? Well, if you had one question to ask him, yeah. Yeah, and then something like that. I was like, that was deep, man. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I, I saw that too. I saw that too, and I was like, wow, like I, I need to watch this episode. Right, right. So, because I was first of all like, wait, he speaks English? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, usually, I mean, most of those actors, they their their English is very limited. But uh, yeah, I mean, seriously. So I, I I'm 100 on board with you. I, I think it's just as as content creators, we have to figure out like work systems and workflows to um. You know, do that. Look, you, you mind if I ask you a little bit about your workflow and how? Because you know, your channel has been you, you've been doing your podcasting since Ahmed Khan podcast, and then out the mm -hmm. which evolved into um, the Creative Minority, right? Yeah. You know, it's uh, only been a year and a half, but your content has been pretty solid, and I think it seems like you're consistent as well, right? Um, are there any secrets from your workflow that you know you would think is is a best practice someone like me can learn from? I'm trying to learn from you, man. <laughs> I'm trying to learn from you, man. You're you guys are the vets in the game. <laughs> I think in some ways, yes, but there's a lot of things we we fall short in, right? You know what I mean? I I think that um, because clearly from your interviewing style, number one, you're doing a lot of research on your guests, yeah. right? It's not a anybody can turn on a mic and just pontificate about what they think, right? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes there are some shows that have very systematic questions they will ask. They don't really need to prepare for it. It might be like, or it's like, hey, what's your background? Where'd you grow up? And then it'll just be a casual conversation, right? And people, and there's an audience for it, right? But clearly from your, and one of the reasons I wanted to like really do this like conversation with you was pick your brain a little, because I was like, you're taking the podcast game, the Muslim podcast genre to the next level, I think, because it's clear you're educating yourself before you're having these conversations. You know, there's um, 
there's a saying from René Gounan, mm-hmm. um, who was, uh, I believe he was French. He was a French philosopher in the 20th century who converted to Islam. Mm. Um, and I believe it was in his book, The Crisis of the Modern World, in which he said that, um, Sayyidina Muhammad, um, that he was, he was basically articulating that a lot of the problems that exist today are a result of a result of people doing action without knowledge. Um, and you really think about all these activists. Everybody is an activist nowadays. Everybody will talk to you about abortion, about you know, saving the environment, about politics. And you ask them, have you read any books on the subject? Have you read any research papers on the subject? What have you done? And aside from merely hearing the talking points, they don't really know anything. And so things like that, ultimately, they can lead to you know totalitarian states. They can lead to cancel culture um, of not wanting to hear the other side. And so as you know, I started reading you know all these books here um i began to realize you know in um if, if you read the the clear quran by dr mustafa khattab in his uh, introduction to surah kaf he mentions the the beautiful hadith that one of the things a person will be asked about on the day of judgment is what did they do with their knowledge and so for me it kind of felt like you know you're reading all these insane things and you want to share it but who are you going to share it with mm-hmm. and so you know, I decided, you know, why not just, wouldn't it be awesome if I could just meet with, you know, the, the author of the paper or the author of the book or somebody who's a scholar in the field and just have a discussion and just share it online. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't really thinking long-term with it. I was just thinking one week after another, get this speaker. And a year from now, I look back at it and almost every single speaker has a PhD on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a specialist in their field. They're an author or they're acquiring a PhD. Um, and when I think when, cause I've gotten a lot of positive feedback in that regard. And this is also a very, very important point because we talk about, you know, get, how do we get the message to, you know, awam to the public? Sometimes if you get the message to the elites, the intellectual elites, it will trickle down to their friend circle. So for example, I don't have to do a podcast in which every single Muslim sees, maybe right. I do a podcast and only a thousand people see Right. But those thousand, each of them have a following of a thousand people. Yeah. And they're sharing my podcast. And maybe the other people haven't seen it. But those people now, whenever they have a question on Islam, who are they, who are they going to reach out to? They're going to reach out to that person. And that person may give them the answer based on my podcast. And so we have this trickle-down theory. So initially, when I, was, when, I, when I was starting this, I was wondering why I wasn't accumulating views um, like other people were, and I mean, like people other than uh, people that aren't Muslim, um, or you know, Muslim social media influencers. And then ultimately, I realized that the information that I'm talking about is very dangerous information if in the wrong hands, um, and very liberating in the right hands. But um, but ultimately, it's go- it's going to attract the people who are already interested in this subject. Right. Uh, so, for example. Um, my brothers, for example, they don't really watch these podcasts. If they ever have a question on Islam, they'll just ask me. Sure. And I will probably get an answer from maybe blogging theology. Maybe I'll get it from one of my teachers. And that if so, that information will just trickle down from the top all the way down to the bottom. Right. And so now I'm focused more on quality and quantity. And alhamdulillah, um, I found out that there's a lot of quality listening to my podcast. Yeah. Um, and that 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 has really made me 
that has really made me because you know sometimes i'm sure you've, you you've been in this uh you've been in this industry for a while sometimes you can just you can get burnouts sometimes you can feel like you know i'm just putting out a new podcast nothing's really happening so i think it's important to have those messages from people saying oh by the way you know getting yeah. maheen to reach out to you um getting other yeah. people to reach out to you and affirm your work right yeah i think i think you're absolutely right in that there's a certain um craft element you know that you as we go through right that we have to appreciate the process number one um i've seen many people i don't know what your experience has been but i'm sure you have people who have had reached out to you and say ahmed i want to start a podcast do you have any advice does that happen to you yes right i i don't i can't tell you how many times people have asked me you know because i've been doing this since my first recording was april of 2016 uh with sheikh rami wow. you know I remember, um, yeah. And, you know, early on, it was like we were, there was only a few of us, a few podcasts on the scene. There was Diffuse Congruence and there was Greed for Elm. I don't think you remember Greed for Elm. They no. were on the, they were in Virginia. Um, and they eventually, like, there was, it was one brother he hosted it. And eventually, I think, you know, he just kind of phased out, right? He had a lot of content. It was over 200 episodes, I think, at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I think it was just, uh, you, you get that. But a lot, a lot of people would try it and then, I just felt like they were just, they thought they wanted to do it, but they didn't appreciate the pro. Like you have to really enjoy the conversation. And I think that's for me, it doesn't feel like I my epiphany happened. I want to say you're talking about like the whole burnout thing. It, I mean, there's been times where I'd be like, I need a break, mm -hmm. but I've never really felt like I, I, I need like a break break. Mm -hmm. the, the, the part the, the part of me that's the hardest for me is really after Sultans and Sneakers, after I started that one, is that now I've got to deal with a lot of the other stuff of the editing of yeah. that, right? But actually going on and hosting a show, like I could do that 24 set. Like I, I'll be like, I remember I had the epiphany at Isnuk at the Isnuk convention in 2016. We had a booth there. And and the same thing happened at the Texas Dowell convention a year later in Houston. I remember you you were sitting in the booth and there's people just lining up to help as guests. Mm -hmm. We had like Miraj Mo, uh, Miraj Mohyuddin. I think he's the of the uh, the Revelation, the Sira book. You know what I'm talking about, Doctor Miraj. Um, and then you had Mujahid Fletcher from Islam by Span Islam from Spanish just coming through. It's like four or five guests in a row. Like sometimes you're recording four or five hours in a row. It's like just having water and you're just like bringing the next person in. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're 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 in this flow state. Um. And you're just enjoying the conversation for the conversation. So that part of it, like, has never felt like work to me. You know what I'm saying? Um, it depends. You know, yeah. like, like for me, yeah. Um, you know, if you if you really look at some of the podcast topics we've done, they're very niche topics. Okay. And so days beforehand, I'm reading these dense academic books or research right. papers. Yeah trying to highlight these things, trying to go online. Every podcast, um, I have to do some information. Yeah. Um, but because I've done that information, I'm able to, it, it, because early on what happened, it was simply just a Q&A between me and the, and the speaker. Mm. And so I would ask a question, the speaker would go on for 15, 20 minutes, and then I ask, ask another question. And it wasn't engaging. And I think the moment I started taking things into my own hands and started engaging the mm -hmm. host that's when things started going up the quality started going up right people started enjoying it the viewers started increasing yeah but it took a lot of effort and right. i think i was uh 
and there's so many other people doing this work, but I think I found kind of like that niche, at least early on, it was, I was really focusing on just a little bit on theology, a little bit just on contemporary, just really on contemporary issues, um, topics, which I felt were really being lacked and needed to be addressed. And I think mm. the main thing is you really have to find your niche, right? Because right? right. everybody says they want to start a podcast, but what is your niche? Because now with podcast game, it's all about niches. What are you right, focusing absolutely. on? What are you specializing right. in? And yeah. why are you the one to tell the story? What's your target market? What's who's your avatar? Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, I think yeah. that I think that's exactly the point. Because back when we started in 2016, like I said, there's only we uh, if people ask us, like, we just talk. We just talk to Muslims. They're interesting. And the thing is, our dynamic is interesting because we have like three or four co-hosts. So we banter with each other and we bounce off the guest. Sometimes we don't need a guest. Right, so it's a different style. Uh, I would say. Let me ask you this, Ahmed. Um, early on, when you were when you started, when it was the Ahmed Khan podcast, how how difficult was it for you to get guests? Like, did were you known in some in other spheres, or would you find it challenging to to bring on the initial set of guests? Well, early on, I I had some connections. Okay. Right. So I knew some people in my small circle, Doctor Yakub Ahmed. Um, who's an Ottoman historian. Uh, mm. I went to summer school with him in Malaysia personally. Okay. Um, and so he was a recurring guest on, on my show. But after that, you know, with anything in life, it's like you just need to get in the right circles. Yeah. And once you're in there, you're done. Right. Right. right? You know, one guy who knows a bunch of people at that point, you know, I knew, I knew one, like there was one person I reached out to and he said, oh, like I know Dr. Mohammed Ghilan. I know him very well. And I contacted right. him and then Dr. Mohammed Ghilan brought somebody else to me. So you can always shoot emails to people yeah. and maybe, maybe that works 25, 50% of the time. But the, I would say overwhelmingly the vast, vast, vast majority of my speak uh, of the speakers that I've gotten, I've only, I've only could have gotten them through mutual contacts. Right. I, I really, um, yeah, for me, it was always, um, I, I had a lot of groundwork. I did MS, I was MSA president in my alma mater. I, I was too. You, I spent okay. two, years, two years as MSA president. I know that I know, I know the game. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you, when you're MSA, um, I, I was a volunteer for Al Maghrib from 2004 to 16. That's where I think I built my biggest Rolodex, right? Because pe people like it's it's interesting. So I have a very close relationship with Sheikh Yasser Qadi, relatively speaking, right? A lot of people like, but because I, I was one of the old original, like I, I I'm one of the first guys that probably met him when he came from back from Medina in 05, okay. right? Okay. So I remember, you know, and then. Imam Suhaib Webb would come to Columbus and, you know, I'd connect with him and he, I, you know, these people. And for me, it's very much like, and when they come to your city, you always go out of your way to, to like kind of hit them up. Like, Hey, you need anything? Let me know. Right. Um, you want to get coffee? You want to get breakfast? Even though, if, even if you're busy, no problem. I can drop something off to you. Right. You, you're like investing in this relationship. I never knew I was going to utilize this somehow. I just enjoyed the, to me, it was like, there's this baraka of like the people of knowledge, right. That you want to mm -hmm. like capitalize on. You know what I'm saying? So, so I think that's um, a real, uh, but, but I want to share with you before I forget, I don't know if you ever heard the story of how I got Dr. Bart Ehrman. No. Okay. So you're familiar with Dr. Bart Ehrman, of course, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, he's, you know, a very, you know, very well-known uh, New Testament scholar. So, you know, I, you know, as, as a lot of Muslims who engaged in like any kind of interfaith work at the time, I was doing a lot of research on Christianity because I was like, going to this class, this church class, actually, I was taking a class at a church over a course of 10 weeks. And so I, I gotten familiar with his works. And so I followed his blog and I saw on Twitter that he was going to be in Chicago for some, uh, at, at a conference at some evangelical church. 
right? Um, defending the Gospels, it was called, right? So then, so I, so I emailed him. His email address is public, like a lot of you know at UNC. Yeah. Um, and you know, went ahead and emailed him, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm going to be. Um, I wasn't planning on going to the conference. But I just emailed him like, hey, <laughs> if you're going to be there, in my head, I was like, you're going to be. I was like, hey, I'm going to be there. And I was like, I have a, this this channel. I have this podcast channel that I recently started. I want to know if you could like come, if we could maybe record on site or something. If you have a break or something during the sessions, because I, I have my setup for Sultan sneakers. Like I can throw everything in a backpack and a suitcase, right? So I can go anywhere. Um, so he was just like, um, you know, I don't know the hell of much time. Um, but you know, and I was like, I threw an idea out to him, like, hey, how about um do you need a ride to the airport? Mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta get to the airport, right? How about we record while I drive you to the airport? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen he, that? Have you seen that one podcast with uh with Muhammad Hijab and uh, Sheikh Yasser Qadi while Muhammad Hijab's driving him? No, I didn't see that one. No. Yeah, there's. Well, they were driving. Did, yeah, they, they did an official podcast, but Muhammad Hijab's driving Sheikh Yasser okay. somewhere, and yeah. he's just doing a Q and A with him. Eddie from the Dean Show used to do that. Eddie from the Dean Show used to have like cameras set up in his van or his car or something <laughs> back in the day, and because these guys would come in very tight schedules, right? Yeah. So so Ehrman had this like really tight schedule, and um. You know, he was just like, I go there and I introduce myself, and I actually didn't get a confirmation that he needed a ride. But he tell, but then one of the organizers comes to me, he's like, "Oh, you're Dr. Ehrman's ride to the airport today, right?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." So, <laughs> and I had to stop, and I was like, "Hey, I had these. I, I, I literally, like, I, I didn't have lavaliers back then. I had like the the handheld mics. I literally yeah. threw it in my sweatshirt, right? And like, and he held it, and he was like, "Hey, man, just keep your eye on the road, all right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I had like my audio recorder. I had no video then, just audio recorder. In okay. you know between the the, the the chairs, and I was just like, you know, um, that was it. You know, sometimes sometimes you you gotta hustle, for, you gotta hustle to get these guests. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes you know these guests always cancel on you because things always come up. Right. So it uh, it can definitely be difficult. But early on, at least for me, it was a it was a one man team. Um, but luckily, alhamdulillah, I got I got an editor later on. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it made life so much more easier. I remember the days of going on iMovie and cropping everything, fixing oh. the audio, making the introduction. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, no, it, 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 being a solo with Sultan Sneakers, I do everything, right? I do all the all the social media, all the video editing, audio editing, etc. On top of my full time, my my day, I have a day, I have a day job in corporate America, right? <laughs> um, so on top of family and stuff, so it does take time. But like, it, it, there, I always, I do feel like there's processes that can be streamlined a bit. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. maybe at some point, I if there is the, I, I would only ju- justify hiring somebody if there was enough, like, for example, Patreon volume to cover it, right? Because mm-hmm. I think if you offload some of that stuff, then you can focus more on the content, right? And and the but, quality of the content. Yeah, but at the end of the day, quality is king. Yep. And if the goal really is that you want to you want to develop this high class yeah. podcast, look at Dave Chappelle's podcast. I mean, you know, he he kind of gets his friends around and they record a podcast, but they have a whole editing team that edits everything that, you know, like it's it's a phenomenal uh, editing masterpiece. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of the biggest podcasts out there. Right. So quality is a big thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um. Well, I was going to ask you. So when you, you, you talked earlier about, cause one of the things that I like am wanting to do with my podcast is to kind of have, um, so I'll, I'll break this down for you. Right. I think we had mentioned, I was talking to you off the record about a guy named Cal Newport. Right. And you said you, you, you have, you had a chance to look him up a little bit, but 
I, I'm really find myself drawn to his um his his philosophy. So he wrote a book called Deep Work, and now he talks about this idea called the deep life, which is like I we talk about radically aligning your your life to fit your values. And it's a radical alignment. It's not like so we say we're Muslim. It's, it's like, for example, it's like, yeah, we say we're Muslim, we pray five times a day. But it's that that means a, an alignment might be if someone who isn't praying. An alignment might be like, okay, we're just going to pray the, the bare minimum, et cetera, et cetera. But a radical is like, okay, take your time with the salah, going to the masjid, et cetera, is an example, right? Or you might have to do some kind of retreats throughout the year. You make that part of your life that you're going to go to this place and immerse yourself in the Islamic culture. You go to a place like Fez or, or Istanbul with, for these retreats yeah, as an example, right? So one of the things that I was, um, I've been drawn to as well, he talks about the, the deep life and deep work is this deep work aspect which you alluded to earlier which you you didn't call it that but you have this dry piece of academic material that you have to get through obviously there's benefit in this that's why you rest why you're reading it right but it takes a certain level of intel of rigor it's like a muscle it's like a mental muscle you get what i'm saying versus like something that you can watch a video on like a like a, a vine or a, a youtube short you TikTok, go through the bro. yeah vine right no longer exists vines no longer exists. okay <laughs> The the the, the 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 real grind of going through this book and extracting the gems from it requires what they what he calls deep work. Somebody can't and what deep work and most people can't do that anymore because they'll look they'll read through half a page. And have you ever read like Plato or Aristotle? Got all of them here, bro. Yeah, Got yeah, all of them. I remember the first time I had to read the cave. Like Plato's was the cave. The allegory of the cave. Yeah. Yeah, I feel. I think I fell asleep like halfway through one page. <laughs> <laughs> this is like twenty years ago. I I, I was a. Uh, I thought I was gonna be a philosophy major in college, uh -huh. and it's like you're like drooling all over the page. You wake up, you're like two hours later, like what happened? And uh, there's because it's it's like going it's like going to the gym, like you can't just take somebody who's not a novice. I'm big into physical fitness now. Like I, I've really take it's become a part of my life for the last year and a half. But I remember when you when you weren't if you're not in shape, you go to the gym for the first time. And you try to do something, you're not going to be able to. You have to build up to it. So Cal Newport has a system system to build up to being able to do deep work, right? Mm, okay. Right. And so one of the things that I want to do with my podcast is is to exemplify that by example by by getting up and getting into those books, kind of what you're doing already. I'm I was a reader as a kid, but like I I lost it. I'm trying to get it back. And ho I'm hoping to use that knowledge to have better conversations, right? And also have a more fulfilling, what they call deep life with cut out of distractions. So with my channel, I'm, I'm shifting it a little bit to like, I want to help Muslim, specifically Muslim men live the deeper life. And I think that the hardest part about that, that's scary in a way, is that the onus is on me to live a deep life for it mm -hmm. to work. You know 100%. what I'm saying? 100%. Because if I, because it's something that becomes very obvious it, it's it's you know there's certain things people can fix people can fake religiosity in a way to us to a certain level if you're on a podcast because you, you know um or whatever even if you're on a speaker circuit you could fake it to a certain level but people will be able to tell that you haven't done the homework when you're doing it when you're interviewing a guest on a, on a topic that you have to, that you got to be well read on it's very obvious to a listener mm -hmm. that you haven't done the work right and I think that that's the that's why I'm putting myself out there a little bit right now, just to like I'm I'm trying to put the onus like, hey, throw it on the gauntlet, got to make it happen. Because I think that's where after six years into the game, I'm like, yeah, I've done all these conversational style podcasts, I really enjoy those, but like you have to keep getting better.
right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, like like myself, you know, I love to talk. I, I feel like I'm a natural conversationalist. I'm an extrovert. So these it comes that comes easy to me, right? But now, what do I got to do to add the toolkit? You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, I love the saying "fake it till you make it." Yeah. Um, and the reason why I mentioned that is because you know some days I'll be reading something so dry. Just yesterday, um, you know, my cat got sick, and I got this form from the doctors about. It was literally the doctor gave me an academic paper on how to have uh, how to ensure that your cat is healthy with a healthy environment. It was literally an academic paper. And you just have sometimes you just have to convince yourself that what you're reading is interesting. <laughs> yeah, like like you just have to read it and be like, wow, this is so fascinating. Yeah. Because if you're interested in something, especially reading something, time will fly and you can sit there for two, three hours without a break. Right. I mean, th- people can do this with novels easily. People can sit there with a novel for four or five hours straight and finish the entire book. A lot of people, when they read, um, like for example, um, the autobiography of Malcolm X, they can sit down that and read read that for like three hours. Um, mm. They can sit through that and they can read through the, the entirety of that thing because it's because they're they're fascinated by it. With academic literature, sometimes it gets a bit tough, but you know. Fake it till you make it. I mean, and I think that's an Islamic principle too, because we are, we're taught that if you can't cry, you should fake it. Right. And you keep faking it and eventually you'll start crying. So if you keep faking that you're interested in something, eventually you'll be like, you know what? This is interesting. And Malcolm X rahimahullah, himself stated that um, there's not a single topic you can mention that I wouldn't be interested in. Mm. Right. Because I really feel when you read a diverse number, when you read diverse genres, on every single topic out there, you eventually reach a point where every topic interests you to the point where you can go to a Barnes and Noble and be like, you know, if I could, I could, I wanted to buy the whole store. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask, yeah, you know, that's a great example, by the way, because I think people talk about, I was listening to, um, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast. It was something recently where you're talking about like people stop praying because they, it doesn't feel, they don't feel like it. Right. Or, you know, if you have a weird, if you do the atkar or an awrad, you know, when you first start, it's like really hard. And sometimes mm-hmm. even after a while, you might have some good days. And then some days you're just like, man, I'm just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you just got to like push through, right? Because it's almost like thinking like working out, right? Sometimes, when you're, sometimes when your prayer, when your wudu and prayer and, and atkar has that form. You know, you know when you're, if you're lifting weights, mm-hmm. you're, you, you focus on the form. Even if it's like, even if it, you're you're not feeling it that day, you have to go through it and 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 you focus on that, and you still you know there's still some benefit. So let me ask you this: um, you mentioned about the various topics. When you're, do you find yourself right now just interested in like a lot of different things, like or or is there sp- specific topics that you're like? Because I, I did listen, like for example, I listened to your uh, interview with uh, uh, Ustad Muawiyah Tucker on Bitcoin. Like I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, but you you had the the one the, the arc of my first one I listened to your was the Ali Atai episode of uh, the, the Noah's Ark one right mm-hmm. the the, the yeah. flood on the flood. Um, how do you you because you could say I'm interested in a lot of things, but do you have a systematic approach? Do you have like a list of stuff that hey right now this is what I'm reading and then I want to cover this, or do you look at guests I want to inter- oh I'm interested in that person and then I work backwards from that like how, wh- wh- what's your methodology of like what Intri- like uh, what uh, what, stu- what you're going to study and then pursue guests on that. Does it make sense? 
Well, the vast, vast majority of studying that I do is not related to my podcast. Okay. Um, the vast majority, it's things I'm reading on the side, things I have to read for school. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does come, I'm, I'm really interested. It usually either is, here's a speaker, let me find a, a suitable topic for him. Or here's a topic, let me find a suitable speaker for him. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it it, it 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 really just depends uh, on that. But um, uh, sorry, I forgot what was your what was your main question. No, that that was essentially the question. Like, what's your methodology? And then when you're looking at like like right now, you know, we go through seasons of things we're interested. Okay. In, right? yes, yes. I'll give I'll give you an example. Yeah. So I did my degree in history, okay. my undergraduate, um, and I specialized in uh, Middle East and subcontinent history. Okay. When I graduated, I received a letter from the dean of the school, uh, the dean of the of the history department, um, who said that he it was it was a saying from a Catholic priest, I think in the six, in the I think in the it was during the Renaissance, and I can't I, I tried going back and finding that letter and finding the name, I couldn't find it. Right. Um, but he said, "quote um, study everything, because one day you'll realize it's all interconnected." Okay. Study everything because one day you'll realize everything is interconnected. And today they talk about like interdisciplinary approaches, but the entire, I would argue the entire Islamic tradition is interdisciplinary, right? For example, during the, if you look at the traditional Madrasa curriculum, the highest subject always was not fiqh, was not logic, was not usul. It was always Quran, Quran studies. And the reason why they said Quran studies was by far the hardest is because it incorporated every other science. Every other science you needed to you needed to incorporate because you needed to understand logic, language, usul, uh, kalam, aqidah, all these different subjects because they're all there. And so, why is it that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has revealed this book to us? And the tool to understanding is, is you have to study everything. You have to study. If you want, you should study modern economics and economic theory if you want to understand the economics within the Quran, because embedded within it is a deep set of economics, a deep right. system. If you want to understand the Quran ayats, if you want to understand Surah Nisa and the verses about marriage, you yeah. need to study the modern books on marriage. You need to read, you know, the, the five love languages and all these different things. Mm-hmm. Why is it that? Uh, if you want to study astronomy in the Quran and all these ayats, why are the surahs named after stars, moons, and suns? And why is our religion so focused on um, astronomy to the fact that National Geographic said the only reason why Muslims developed uh, all of these inventions in uh, astronomy was solely because of their religion? Mm. But what did they need to study? Well, what did the Muslims do? They took Ptolemy's ideas, they took Aristotle's ideas, and they incorporated to try to understand what these verses meant. Um, so, for example, in Surat, uh, in Surat uh, Waqi'ah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Fala uqsimu bima waqi'in nujum, wa inna hu laqasmu lautaalamuna adim." And the way Sheikh Hamza translates this is, um, "I swear by the position of the stars." And Shaykh Hamza says, well, so Allah is taking an oath on that. So why is Allah taking an oath on the position of the stars? What's so magnificent about it? Well, now we need to study that. And to study that today, you're going to need to know physics. You're going to need to know math. You're going to need to know all these different sciences. So I think what I tried doing with this podcast is similar in that you want to touch on a diverse number of topics. 
and eventually you'll what you'll be doing in the podcast is you'll be citing what you said in previous podcasts right right and then you'll realize everything is connected so a lot of the things i'm mentioning right now to you is what i mentioned in my previous podcast on social engineering or things i picked up in my other previous podcasts so that's why i feel especially for our scholars for today's age you have to be reading a diverse number um uh, books and a very prominent uh, mufti uh, actually messaged me and said, can you ask Sheikh Hamza um, to write like a curriculum for us uh, Darsi Nizami graduates for what we should read after our studies? Because we get our fiqh, we get our hadith, we get all that. But how does that, how do, how, how do we make that relevant to our modern age? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's Dr. Mohammed Gilan tries that a lot with his, his book club. Yeah. You're probably familiar yeah. with it, right? You know, it's like that integration. It's, uh, but at the end of the day, um, like I, I, I did a recording the other day with with a friend of mine who's a big reader as well. And it's one of the habits you're trying to cultivate. Uh, have have you? Is it has reading always come kind of naturally naturally to you? Would you say? No, I think when I started when I was I think twenty, okay, uh, about five five or so years ago, and the book that actually started it was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm, mm. Because actually, I feel, I feel yeah. that book. I mean, you, you, I mean, you know that book. That book is just so powerful. Like after the Quran, I think it's probably the most influential book in terms of converting people to Islam in the U.S. Arguably, absolutely, yeah. How many times have you heard people cite that store, that book, as the book that got them to do it? But, but I've, I've also, so I, and I agree with you in the sense that there's a lot of books that I've read. That's not you get a hold of a book and it hooks you so good um that you you're done in the day like i i remember the first time that happened to me was probably like it happened to me as a kid a lot right but my adult life i was like 19 or 20 i went and got rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki yeah and i remember i read that in one day like i, I had i had homework the next day i just like forget that homework like this uh -huh. book is good like uh -huh. you know what i'm saying i mean he he's kind of a controversial guy now but the concepts are so he simplifies the ways that people make money in, in our in our economy today mm -hmm. very succinctly right um I, i'm just hoping to get more into books there's there's some books that like come like like that but most books i'm able to you know come a little bit but then i'll hit a dead spot and i'll like or something will happen i'll like oh come back to it later uh what would do you consume via like audible or audiobooks at all in, in the post-covid era i got really big on audiobooks Okay. Because I realized I could finish an audiobook a week. Yeah. And so for instance, you know, if you if you look at the top best sellers right yep. now, mm -hmm. the best sellers in productivity, the best sellers in lifestyle, in yep. health, right. all of these books. A lot of more the vast majority of these books, if you get through the introduction, you got the thesis of the book down. The rest of the book is just evidence. Right. So what I did with the vast majority of all, you know, okay, you have how to win friends and influence others. You have uh, this book called Rethink. You have uh, Stephen Covey's book, How to Win uh, Seven uh, Habits. Seven Habits. Um, uh, the, the Atomic Habits. Yeah. Um, all these books and many more. I just go through the introduction and I'm like, and a lot of times you can just read. Sometimes I go to Barnes and Nobles, like usually because I travel a lot. Yeah. And at the airport, they usually have one. And I'll usually just pick up a book and I'll read the name of the book. And the name of the book has the thesis in it. 
And then you can just read the back and you're like, okay, that's a very interesting argument. And I'll give you an example. If for people who are into health, you'll have uh, someone like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Gaber Matt, Mate. Gaber no. Matt. Uh, I think he's probably the most prominent physician in terms of writing books. And he's actually based oh. in Vancouver. Okay. Um, all his books have sold millions. And he's also very big on, he's written a lot on um, helping people with addictions as well. He's a physician. Okay. Um, you can take someone like, um, I forgot, there's a, there's, a, there's a very prominent book now on trauma called When the Body Keeps the Score. Okay. And the whole book is literally about what the name of the book is. When the body keeps the score, when the body keeps the, the, the trauma on it, how does the body deal with it? And mm -hmm. so he elucidates very brilliantly the, you know, everything about trauma, everything he's been through. And this is one of the most popular books out there. So right. these books, this is what, you know, this is what the non-Muslims are, are reading. This is what, this is what they're reading. And if you want to converse with them, you know, converse with them with their terms. Right, yeah. as Ali radiallahu anha used to say, speak to people at their level. Right, right, right. And so, if you can speak to them at their level, and you can present Islam in a manner in which Islam almost seems as indigenous to them as something which you know you you, you explain Islam to them with English terminology. This is the whole project of people like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, Doctor Omar Farooq Abdullah, Doctor Abdul Hakim Arad, which I buy their argument is the indigenization narrative. Because mm. if you can present Islam in an indigenized way, because everywhere Islam went throughout Islamic history, if you look at right. China, China is an excellent example. When the Muslims got to China, and their biggest hurdle was how do we present Islam to them in a manner in which you know they will, you know, people will convert or they'll find it beautiful. Because when they used to tell them about Allah, the people would just get confused, mm. and so they wrote, they they changed terminology, they changed Muhammad into. Uh, in Chinese, they would say the great sage. Why? Because yeah. in Chinese culture, they didn't have prophets. They had sages, which were equivalent to prophets. So Confucius, for example, is not called a prophet. He's called a sage. But when right. you read the teachings of Confucius, he was probably, you know, Allahu Alam, he's probably a prophet. When right. it came to explaining God, right? In Chinese, they call God Sheng Tian, you know, the one in the heavens. Yeah. So instead of referring to God as Allah, they would call they would call God like Allah Shang Tian, right? Al Ali or Al Ali, like the one that's most high, right? And that's and the Quran. I forgot the name. They tried, They had a word for Quran. They had a word for heaven. And through that, they successfully had an indigenized. They indigenized the religion to the point where I would argue, Muslims living as minorities throughout Islamic history, no minority lived better than I think the Muslims in China until the last 100 200 years i mean they they intermarried the sahaba married you know uh the daughters of many of the kings of china yeah. china built them a beautiful mosque and throughout history they were so nice to them right, right why right. why is it so with with the work that i try doing i try to indigenize islam in whatever way i can whether it be with the language i use with the clothes that i have not to the point where you you you, you assimilate completely you still have your own identity but in a way in which somebody looks at you and they say, you know what, if I convert, it's not, I'm not changing my entire being. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that's really, you know, because you strike me as somebody who's very comfortable speaking to non-Muslims. And it's funny that a lot of times I talk to people and even in our generation, they're not really comfortable speaking to non-Muslims. And it's always going to be a foreign thing because we have this idea. So you, you've got people who are like here just to like, it's America's a paycheck. 
or that's the the, the mindset or we're going to make Hydra, you know, you're going to leave mm-hmm. uh, but for whatever reason, or you're only here to make Dawa or they only can have a conversation in the angle of Dawa. But I want to give you, I'll, you, you trigger an interesting point that I've been thinking about. Um, I, I have a guest that I'll, I, I haven't scheduled yet, but he's agreed to come on. He's my, he's one of my Brazilian jujitsu coaches. He's not Muslim. Um, you know, but he's, um, I've asked him a lot of stuff about breathing. Have you read a uh, breath by James Nestor? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he put me on that book because with jujitsu breathing is really, really important. Right. Uh, he's always saying like, Hey, you're my hand, you're too tense. You're too tense. Like relax. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, how like, and your mouth, you know, all that stuff. So, and I, and I've, and he, he's, he's much younger than me. He's in his twenties. Uh, he comes from a martial arts family and he's got this thing where he like has a, he, he has a gallon of water every day. You just drink, he carries it around. He's like, and I, I'm like, coach, do you clean it every day or what? He's like, no, I buy seven gallons beginning of the week individually. And I drink one a day. And because I don't have the, I don't want to worry about cleaning a new one. It's going to smell bad. I just like drink it and it's gone. Right. But then he talks about like, the thing is you got to go to the restroom a lot. And I'm like, coach, you know, the problem with drinking all that water, like I'm at work. I can't be going to the restroom every 10 minutes. And he's like, yeah, one of my, uh, Jobs in that, but I want to ask him about. Uh, but I wanted to raise the issue of Istinja, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I I think most people, because people know about the bidet now, right? After COVID, bidets went like viral for the backside, right? Yeah. But for the for us, the front, you know how man they have ur- urinals, right? They're pretty mm-hmm. gross, yeah. right? They're splashback. I don't know, like, it's one of those things that I'm like. Are people just ignoring the fact that there's splashback and all this stuff going on, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got what I'm saying? And so I was like, hey, coach, you know, have you, have you thought, like, you know, I was like, you know, because I was like, you know, Muslims, we, so I usually even, even if you're in a rush, you, I carry around, I, I have water bottles in my car, at my desk, all like the small ones all the time. So you can always like fill it up if you need to go, right? I'm like, coach, I mean, you know, what are your, th- like, what are your thoughts? I'm like, if you're in my, sh- if, if you were in my shoes, how would you do that kind of thing? Right. I, I would like ask, I'm actually thinking about that question in my head already. Like, Hey, coach Marcos, um, you know, have you thought about that? And if so, how would you wash yourself? Like go to the restroom as frequently as you do, because sometimes people will like go to the wood, they'll go wherever. Right. Or, you know, but we have more like ethics behind where we go, how we use the restroom. Right. So I, yeah. I actually am going to like give him like a, probably a, an intellectual exercise or something. Like, how do you, <laughs> How would you practically deal with this? Because I think he's probably never, I think they people have never thought about this idea of like splashback and like what they yeah. call istibra. You know, istibra, right? In the Hanafi school, you know, um, I think it was called where you have the little bit of, you, you know, I mean, that's not a little science for us, mm-hmm. but like it's, it's like they haven't thought about that yet. But you know, th- this, this is what I would recommend. Yeah. Is, there is a phenomenal book which just came out. Um, okay which I finished reading last week called okay. prophetic wrestling by, uh, Nisa Sheikh. Um, okay. and it's a translation of, um, Imam Suyuti's book, Musara'a, Al-Musara'a ila Musara'a. And it's also a translation of a speech by, um, the great late scholar, um, Sayyid, uh, Muhammad Ibn al-Maliki okay. on his book, Riyadatul Islam, Sword of Islam. Mm. But he has a, he has an introduction on there, which is, which has everything to do with the history of wrestling. And he's quoting Ryan Holiday, uh, Ego is the Enemy. Um, he's quoting all the, the, these books on the history of martial arts. And he's showing that Islam is a, you know, is, 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 a, is, a, is a, the, the sports of Islam, uh, archery, 
and swimming, but first most is wrestling. And he mentions mm-hmm. all the hadiths, all the sayings. Right. Um, so that's an example, I think, of speaking to somebody at their level of saying, yeah. like, oh, this is something which is a huge passion of yours. Know that this is a huge passion of mine in, in my religion. Right. Yeah. yeah. We always that, you know. Right. We, we, okay. we have a we have a prophet who was a wrestler. Right. When, when do you hear about a prophet who was a wrestler? Right. Uh, there was uh, there was this recent book that came out by um, if I guess first name, his last name was Kohler. There's a British Orientalist, okay. uh, not British, German Orientalist called Islam and the Rise of Capitalism, mm-hmm. in which he argued that Islam really gave birth to capitalism. But what he said, it was interesting, is he said that the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was the only founder of a religion who was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And he goes back, he and he goes back within the science of that about, about Prophet being an entrepreneur and the business tactics that he would employ. And so right. now if you're speaking to somebody who's in the corporate world, someone who's huge in business, you know, you yeah. give them a book like that. And so they read it and they're like, wow, like I can resonate with this prophet. Because a lot of people still have this perception that this prophet is this mystic who lives in the mountains, uh, who doesn't engage in society. But our prophet وسلم, had the option at the Isra and Mi'raj to stay up, right? He could have stayed up, but he decided to come back down mm. because he needed to do his time in the earth. So, they, they, we say like the body is in the earth, but the heart is in the heavens. Right, right. right. Yeah, so, I'll, yeah. I, I got you. I, I, have, I have another. I have. Sorry, I, I'm I'm peppered with questions here. <laughs> You're supposed to interview me. I don't know but where like, this is going. I don't yeah. know where this is going. Either. No, but like, but but like, how? What about books that are like you mentioned a German professor where the so you familiar with Michelle Kuipers? Yeah, he has, he talks about the ring theory in the Quran in the, the banquet. That's yeah, what the trans, you know, it's called. You know, Dr. Ali talks about this, right? My my assumption is that he does not speak English. He's probably like French, right? Michelle Kuypers. He, uh, from what I know, he actually doesn't know Arabic. So wherever he's from, he no, uh, he, he doesn't know English. He doesn't know English. My assumption would be he only knows like French. He's a French guy. Okay. Well, from what I heard, uh, uh, is he, pro- he probably doesn't also know Arabic as well. I, okay. Well, his gotcha. books in English. His books in English. His books in English, right? Right. But but I, I thought it was a translation of like German or French or something. I didn't know if it what it was. Uh, I'm not too sure. No, but but like you, how do you? How would you? Um, I guess connect with someone like that whose English isn't a first language. Would you do something like a book review of that book, or would you like still try to like, or would you go? You know, maybe at some point you learn the language and you. Like, have you thought about down the road doing stuff, content you know, in other languages? You know, one of the brilliant things about the Prophet وسلم, a really brilliant thing, which I don't think enough people highlight, yeah, is he was phenomenal in terms of his level of emotional intelligence and his right. ability to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time, and he was a politician, right? In yeah. the sense that he was a head of a state. So whenever he would visit these tribes, he would speak to them using their dialect and using their slang. Mm. So think of just just think about that for a moment. He's going to a specific tribe. Not only is he speaking Arabic, he's speaking their form of Arabic. He's speaking using their own slang and terminology in which you know only they would get. So that now they feel like this is one of us as well. Right, right. Yeah. So, so you you know you can do qiyas on that. And whenever you if you if it's somebody in a different language, for example, like for example, vlogging theology. Right. Paul is doing an excellent job. And a lot of people are watching, especially people who aren't Muslim. Right. They're seeing this this guy named Paul Williams convert right. to Islam, speaking of Islam in a high, in a praiseworthy manner. 
mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of ethos. And if there's a brown dude named Ahmed Khan doing that same thing, it'd be effective, but probably not to that extent. Right, right, right absolutely. So it's, it's, step one, I think, is identifying the language yep. that, that people are looking for. So for example, if today everybody's talking about Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah, right? So th- this is one of the problems, uh, I think, I'm not going to say me, but some of our scholars have identified of people who go overseas and they study, they go study for five, six years, and then they come back and they're completely out of tune and out of touch with what's going on. And they're trying to present this Islam, which is these books in, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth century, and word for word without indigenizing it and speaking it in a manner in which people will understand they're conveying it. And then they're wondering why it's not effective. Right. Right. So mm. I think step one is identifying the language that people are using. That's why I always try to watch as many movies as possible. All the big movies. I just saw um, Top Gun. It's the Top Gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just recently saw Top Gun. Um, and that movie was all that movie. Like you could clearly see the social engineering in that movie. Mm. I mean, you know, when the first Top Gun came out, yeah. uh, everybody enrolled enlisted into the, into the Navy. Why is that? You, you know what? Uh, so you mentioned that. My, my my boss, my current boss, used to, used to run the Navy's boot camp. Wow! Up in like up in Northern Illinois, right? He used to work at the Pentagon before, right? And his story is, he saw Top Gun, and was inspired to join the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they, and and you can see like in the credits, yeah. you know, it's funded by the U.S. Navy. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, right. It's all it's all a. It's all a social engineering project because they're trying to manipulate you using emotions. Right. Yeah, right? and it, and 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 what's what's interesting is that my friend actually wrote a paper. You know, in, in rhetoric, you have the three sciences. You have um, you have ethos, which is the character of the person. Yeah, and then you have logos, which is you know the argument itself, the logic, logical reasoning. Yeah, and then you have uh, pathos, which is the emotional touch. Right, right, absolutely. And in his absolutely. paper, he argued that. When the Prophet ﷺ gave that khut- the first khutbah on the mountain to mm. the people saying, you know, if if the, if I told you there was an army behind me, yeah. um, if I told you there was an army behind me, would you believe me? And they said yes. And he showed all three dimensions were done by the Prophet ﷺ. That wow. he had mastered all these sciences. When it comes, you know, one thing I'm very big on, which um and somebody who you really have to have on your podcast, you really have to. Not enough people know about him, but his name is Joel Hayward. You know, Joel, uh, I- I'm in touch with him. He sent me four of his books. So You're he's on master- my agenda, but I've got to like read the stuff first. He all masterpieces. I, I have one of his book here too on prophetic uh, leadership. Yeah. It's, it's, it's he's such a gentleman, here. man. I, I, I followed him on Instagram. He, he, direct, he DMs me. We're, we're chatting back and forth. You know, just a great guy. Yeah, I think it's in my. I think it's in uh, it's in my other house. Yeah. Um, but he argues his work is for those who don't know. He really looks at the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a military leader. Right. Um, and uh, I, I I actually wrote a ten page paper on just the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a military leader and people and Joe, Professor Hayward's contention, which I think is yeah. is beautiful, is he says people argue the reason why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was so successful was because yeah. you know there was that divine hand and allah helped him right. and that's why which is true but the problem with that level of reasoning is that it completely discredits the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a as a genius himself right and when you read it you see all of the tactics the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used like i mean just think about this 
Um, and there's a, if people want more information, I did a, I did a lecture on blogging theology titled was Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a warlord. Yeah. I, for, I spent, uh, it was, it was a very academic, uh, lecture, but one beautiful instance I'll give you is that the prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, um, early on in Medina, uh, they kept doing the caravan raids, right? But the raids kept failing. Yep. And the Prophet ﷺ was saying, you know, like, what's going on here, right? Okay, mm. like, like, why, why are these raids continuously failing? I, I'm figuring out the location of it. And then he realized that there were spies in his camps, that there were spies that were reporting back to the Quraysh that, oh, you know, he found out he's going to attack the caravan here, and they would change the caravan's direction, right? And the Prophet mm. also had his own spy in Mecca, which was Abbas, uh, who would report to him back. But what the Prophet would do then is he would, because what would happen is he would tell um, his soldiers, you know, go here on this specific date. But by the time they would go, information would leak and the caravan right. wouldn't be there. Right. So what he would do is he would get somebody to write a letter about where the caravan's going to be. And he would seal the letter shut. And he would give it to the the the, the head of the uh, of the army, and he would send them in a random direction. Right. He would be like, "Go east," and after two, after one or two days after east, when it's just you guys in your caravan, open the letter up. And so they would go like two days east, open the uh, the letter, and it would say, "Oh, they're attacking us from north on this date." Mm-hmm. And nobody could go back and spy, uh, go back and tell the Quraysh. So then they would go north, they would find yeah. the caravan, and then they started raiding the caravans. Like, wow, and this okay. is just one instance. This is just one instance of the many brilliant uh, instances. And one more, I just really want to share. I just really sure. want to share. As at the conquest of Mecca, when the Prophet ﷺ was coming, it's 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 in the books, uh, in the Sira books, that this the companions had like no idea that they were going to invade, uh, uh, invade Mecca. You know, like the next day or day after, nobody knew. Right. It was top secret. Only the Prophet ﷺ knew. And he made a du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, ha- to cover uh, the, his plans to cover Mecca. Right. And what he did is he would he sent a letter to Abbas saying, on this specific date, you know, we're going to invade. So bring Abu Sufyan outside the city. And so what happened on that day is the Prophet sallam, he brought all he, he brought his army and they yep. went out. And by the time they got to the point where Abu Sufyan would see them, he got all his men to stand, uh, like they, they were all lined up and they all had a torch. Yep. And he lit all of the torches on fire. Mm. And so the moment Abu Sufyan's with Abbas and he looks out and he sees all these men, 10,000 men, all with their um, with torches in their hand. Yeah. He says, you know, he gets terrified and he says, and he says to Abbas, he says, what a wonderful, uh, what, a fe- what a wonderful or what a, what a wonderful army uh, your, you know, your, your, you know, the mil- the military leader has, and Abbas responded, and he said, um, like, uh, he said, this is, he said, this is not mulk, this is not kingdom, this is prophecy, mm. and he came and he invaded, and the scholars say the Prophet ﷺ avo- wanted to avoid war, and so what is he, what he did is he used a tactic of fear to convince the people not to attack him. Yeah. And so okay. that way he was able to attack the city with, you know, the, the little tiny fights broke up, but overwhelmingly. There was no fights. There was no bloodshed. Right. And this is the same tactics the Mongols used to do whenever they would come to the Muslim world is they would send in their merchants and their merchants would go in and they would spy and they would tell the people, oh my God, the Mongols are coming. There was, they created these pyramids of skeletons and so the people just quit. The Muslims were terrified and the Mongols came and the Mongols just butchered them all. 
right? But this is this is the brilliance of the Prophet wasallam that I feel that in every dimension, you can write a Sira book. You can write a Sira book on his economic philosophy, on his psychology, on his uh, 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 on the history that he used to tell his Sahaba of everything. And I think for that reason, I would contend the Prophet wasallam could only be a prophet and nothing else. Mm, wow, subhanAllah. Great pitch for Joel Hayward. I definitely got to get into his books, the ones he sent me. <laughs> Brilliant, sure. all of them. I mean, he is the lead because he has one book titled uh, Islamic Principles of the 21st Century. Okay. And he really tries. He's like, I mean, Joel Hayward, for those who don't know, um, he works for the UAE. Like he's affiliated with the UAE's military, um, uh, with uh, Indonesia's military. He teaches the royalty of uh, of of the United Kingdom. I think yep. Prince Charles and them. He teaches them. Mm. Um, he's widely sought, uh, sought after. And in that book, he tries to come to a compromise of what are some ethical principles we can take in this modern age based on Islam, right. not going to the extreme and kind of just allowing for like the basic principles. Um, but he has a book coming out which I think he's almost finished which is a seerah, an entire seerah just at, on the military aspects of mm. the Prophet Oh, okay. Sounds good. A anything else, man? With, you know, <laughs> man, I, 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 I wanted to ask you, Maheen. Sure. Um, from your perspective, as somebody yeah. who's been in this, uh, you know, who's been on the Dawah scene longer, yep. much, yep. much longer than I have, is what... You know, what is the trend that you're seeing now, you know, within the last five, 10 years? Because now we're seeing a lot of Muslim podcasts coming out. You're seeing Muslims like in terms of the, you know, they say it takes around three generations for um, any ethnic group or religious group to indigenize. Yeah. Are you starting to see, you know, the indigenization of Muslims in the West? Yeah. You know, so definitely you see it with like, politics people getting involved in grassroots politics or even running for like people i know personally are running for office I, like you know I, I have a friend who's an old friend of mine who's running for like an alderman spot in the city of chicago mm -hmm. right that's like one of the major neighborhoods um another old friend of mine is running um as a state representative in ohio uh one and one the first guy's a democrat the second guy's a republican right <laughs> and so it's I I think you're you're starting to see more of that. You're seeing the whole thing of media as well. Um, like I I I'm into my in in my sphere with a with a Mad Mom Luke's um and that as a result Sultans of Sneakers Sultans of Sneakers. There's a certain demographic of what the audience is ideologically speaking, what their outlook on Islam is. Um, I'm in the minority in that I'm a big fan of the show Rami. You talk about Miss Marvel, like I loved I loved Rami. Um, I saw I, I, I saw Rami. I saw both seasons, and now Mo's coming out. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to Mo as well. Um, so people, um, and I see when you see that, you're starting to see more uh, of like, I guess people in media. Now the the, the problem that the issue people that they say like, well, is it gonna? Is, are we just gonna assimilate and be another, another cultural identity, or are we gonna maintain our theological presence, right? Um, and with politicians, sometimes you see that. The challenge is, is, I think, for them is that they use Islam when it's convenient, but then they use the rhetoric of their party or the party line when it's convenient for their election. And that may not always sync up, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a positive there is like – because no one can I, – I, 
would say that, hey, listen, if you, it's a way to fix your society, fix your society. You have an opportunity to do so. Um, but like the challenge, it's easier. I'm not in that position, but when I observe it, it seems like that's the challenge that people are going to have. And then the challenge is on us as a community. Like, what are we willing to like support? Right. Are we, are we going to like, you know, how are, are, are we going to allow, if there's a politician that has a stance that we don't believe is in line with Islamic teachings, that's Muslim that we think is better for the job. How do we navigate that? I mean, those questions are, I think are things that, you know, I think, we need to have conversations about and, and um, you know, I, I might have a, pers a personal perspective, but like that's, I'm just one person, you know, if there's someone else. If the, if the community decides otherwise, we don't, that'll essentially drive the trend. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think today it seems like um, in my, in the two thousands, what I've noticed was um, there was much of a more focus on learning Islam, like, like the, the like the learning the Sharia, like learning under ulama, being connected with students of knowledge, that kind of element was, I think, more prevalent well, in there. In, in, the, in that context, that was the only way to learn about the religion. True. Yes. Yeah. In, in, a, in a, yeah, but 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 even that, yeah. I guess we didn't have lectures. We had lectures, but I guess the importance of it. You get what okay. I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, because I find more because because now it seems like, yes, we might know something informationally, but I went back to earlier. But like, yeah, but we'll ignore it. We want to ignore it because it doesn't, you know, I feel like some of that stuff is being put on the back burner more mm -hmm. so than anything else. It's not like, yes, we had, um, that's why, that's why I think, I think the paradigm shift is, is shifting in a way where it's more cultural than actual, than, than theology, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. And you know, one, one, one thing that's quite interesting is that if you look at, for example, the Sira of Martin Lings. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, you know, it's probably, the, the scholars say, the best sirah in the English language, probably. Mm -hmm. Just the way, you know, he elucidates it. He's a brilliant writer. Right. But the ulama have identified that there are certain problems with that book. Sure. Right? Yep, yep. But they still recommend the book. Yeah. Right? So, so I mean, think about that for a second. So, what they're saying is, read this book, but there's these problems. So, let's identify these problems. The same things the ulama say about the study Quran. Yep. They say, they say just identify these problems. You know, there's perennialism in there. Um, don't take your theology from it. But in terms of understanding tafsir, go ahead. Yep. So like the philosophy is like, look, if you are only down with things that you are, if, if you only support things which you 100% believe in every single cause, well, you're only going to, you know, you're, you're not you're not really going to go far, right? Sometimes you have to make just a little bit. You identify, okay, this politician, when they speak on these topics, we're completely against it. But when they speak on this, you know, we, sh we should support it. Like when Bernie Sanders speaks about Israel, right? right. Like, right. like we should completely support it. But when Bernie Sanders speaks about, you know, maybe LGBTQ or other things, you know, we want to agree with him. But then yeah. to, to publicly come out and say, we, we, like, we don't have to endorse a candidate. Like mm -hmm. I'm team Bernie. It's like, no, like yeah. I might vote for him, but I'm not right. team Bernie. And, and I, th I think that even that some of that stuff like changed like five years ago, if someone says, if, a, if a, you know the, the, a candidate on the Democratic platform is pro LGBTQ, back then you're like, okay, sure, that's part of the platform, right? It's not as maybe in your face, right? Yeah. But today people are thinking about it in the sense that like that same platform is like, well, I'm now seeing it in my kids' schools. Yeah. Right. So maybe what I accepted back then, you know, it wasn't as much of a threat to me personally, but now it is. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's a lot of 
that stuff has to be fleshed out. And then when you talk to the people who are running for office, you got to ask them like, you, sometimes you, I mean, that's the thing you, when they're running in your in, in cities like Chicago, you know, people are, you know, they're available for you to talk to. You can find out what they're about. Sometimes they're like, Hey man, my campaign just put it up. I, I, you know, I'm not down with that. Right. They'll tell you behind the scenes, but right mm-hmm. now I can't, I can't take the post down because obviously if I do that, it's just going to like railroad everything. Yeah. So you're kind of stuck with it. And I'm like, okay, I understand if you're in that position and they posted it on your Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But then if you talk to them, they're actually don't care. They, they think it's not a big deal. Then you, then you know, at least what you're dealing with too. Right. So yeah, there. I think I think that's the direction it's going. It's an exciting time, though. You know, it's always things change, and like you know, it's it, it gives us content for podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're you're from Chicago. You know, one of you know one of the greatest scholars in Chicago is Dr. Omar Farouk Abdullah, mm-hmm. um, and he says, you know, these are very interesting times. But he's like, they're exciting times to be in as well. <laughs> yeah, I actually haven't heard, heard him. I I I haven't seen them since COVID actually. Um, you know, since uh, COVID started, but you know, when he was in town, you know, he spends half his time between here and I think he's in the Gambia half the year, but, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not originally from Chicago. I'm from Ohio, but I've been in Chicago now for 14 years. And it's a, to mm-hmm. me, to me, it's for Muslims, it's the best city in America. That's my, I'm biased now, but I, I really think Chicago is a great place to be. You know, after moving to the Bay, I'm like, you know what this is, if you have money, yeah. right. If you're financially stable, the Bay is beautiful. I'm sure I've been to the Bay, but I, you know, but like you said, it, it's an expensive place to live. Yeah, if you got the money, I mean, yeah. you know, the weather throughout the year is 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 the same. In Chicago, you can't go there for like six, seven months because it's too cold. <laughs> right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but thank you, thank you, Mahin, for um, for joining the podcast. Um, Absolutely, and this was a definitely an exciting collaboration. Um, for those who don't know, there there was no script planned to this. It was just you know hit the hit the recording button, and this is what happened. Yeah, um, no, we, we talked for like what three minutes on voice. What's that voice notes like two weeks ago? <laughs> or like, let's roll. Yeah, it's all good. But it, I, I had a fun time, man. I, and Tofik to your podcast, inshallah. I look Likewise. forward to uh, continued success. And um, I hope we can meet in person soon. Inshallah. inshallah. If you go to Chicago, definitely. I'll, I'll take you out to to whatever the best food spots, whatever whatever your cup of tea, you know? Yeah. And if you ever, if you ever hear in the Bay, we got a nice uh, halal sub, sub spot uh which is the best sub spot i've i've ever had so you, really? you, okay. you won't be disappointed uh, you know i do gotta I, i've been telling dr Al, you know i'm talking like yeah. you know i, I I've, I've done interviews with dr ali atai dr sheikh abdullah Hamid ali bin Hamid ali yeah Dawood yasin was a recent guest of mine so you know i was like i gotta come and see you guys out in the bay so definitely yeah. I'll, what, what you know make that happen inshallah inshallah and uh thank you to all of our uh supporters our donors our followers um if, if you're if you're from Mahin's channel, uh, please check out my channel. If you're from my channel, check out Mahin's channel. You know, there's a. I'll end with this uh, proverb. It's an African proverb. Um, it's one of my favorites, which says, uh, "If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together." Right. And ultimately, I think this is a journey. If all of us are trying to get as far as possible, we can only get there by going together and by helping each other. So barakallah fiq bro. Jazakallah khair. Thank you everybody for listening. If you have any questions, please feel free to post them in the comment section. And with that, inshallah, we will see you next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.